Hey, Greg. Hey, Dan. It's August 30th, 2017. What are you into? Well, I'm still re-watching Frasier. I'm into season two. <laughs> How many seasons uh, that show have? Uh, not enough. I think like nine, actually. Oh, good God. Going for a while. Uh, it's it's a pretty good show. Does it, it like peter out or does it just continue to be it awesome? It probably does. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> like, I remember watching Frasier when I was like nine years old. Um, and I'm sure it gets it gets worse as it goes on, as most shows do. But I also have been listening to um, a new episode of uh, Dan Carlin's Hardcore History podcast came out, and it's uh, six hours on what uh, he's calling the Celtic Holocaust, which is essentially um, Caesar's conquest of Gaul. And, um, you know, I, I really enjoy listening to that regardless of the subject matter. But um, as I was listening to it, I'm only maybe an hour in um, – <laughs> The five, the five hours. Um, but he's kind of setting the stage for why the, um, why, you know, why was Rome focused on getting into Gaul and, um, you know, taking out the barbarians. And he's kind of suggesting that, um, and I think that this actually ties into back when we were talking about maps, you know, we were talking about one of the tropes in maps, fantasy maps, is that there's the the vast untamed north and barbarians come down from the north and wreak havoc. And you see that all over the place. And especially in Game of Thrones, it's kind of happening, except in this case, they're ice demons and zombies. But um, so as he he's so as Dan Carlin's talking about the um the first sack of Rome, which happened in like 387 BCE um, and the impact that had on the Romans and how they carried that with them, you know, for 300 years before Caesar actually rode north and conquered Gaul. It occurred to me that it could be that the roots of that trope of the, you know, barbarous uh, Northmen coming down um, could be just a long term kind of cultural scar from the first sack of Rome, because, you know, Carlin talks about how much of a culture shock that was for the Romans, um, not only because they weren't used to being invaded, but also that these people coming down were so different than anyone they'd seen before. They were, you know, six or seven inches taller. They had uh, bleached blonde hair, literally, literally bleached. They had these weird mustaches and jewelry and they dressed strangely and they fought strangely. And it was such a culturally traumatic experience that they were, you know, they kind of carried that with them. And you think if that kind of just got embedded into their culture, this fear of Northern barbarians, then, and then as Roman culture became most of European culture, you can see how that kind of still might filter down today into, um, why, you know, when we need, um, when we need a vast mysterious place with alien people who are going to come south and, and wreck our day, you know, that's, that might be where that comes from, at least as kind of a cultural trope. Hmm. Makes sense. Uh, it's always interesting. I was reading, um, I, I was listening to a podcast called the history of Rome. Um, and I'm blanking on the gentleman's name who runs it. I'll try and put it in the show notes, but, uh, it's, you know, it's a pretty good pretty informative podcast just starts at the beginning of rome you know romulus and remus and all that and then just goes and i this is pretty much about where i stopped is when the first sack of rome and it's funny because you know rome had been sacked and invaded and all these different things by fellow i mean i'm gonna call mediterranean them folks italians yeah. but they're not italians yet but you know what i mean samites and those kind of things 
Um, but yeah, it's just different when it's somebody else from not nearby and they look different and interesting. Uh, I would like to dig into that more. I need to listen to that podcast more. Although I just, I have a hard time with history podcasts because being, uh, you know, you're just so, so into something and you're like academically trained in something, it gets really hard <laughs> to enjoy it because it's like, well, cause people, people talk so authoritatively. Like this happened and then this happened and then scholars think this and it's like, no, no, no. Some scholars think that. What do other scholars think? What's the debate? Like, and I, I went like names and dates and of not of things in history, but of scholars and what has been said and what's been developed. And there's just bad history gets uh, promulgated by, unfortunately, bad history gets propagated by history becoming popular sometimes. And that's hard for me to handle. But so I think Carlin does a pretty good job of using primary sources whenever possible. So, um, and obviously the deeper you go in history, especially when we get into Rome, you know, it becomes, well, this is a translation of a translation of a translation that's of something that Caesar might have written. Um, but he does try to go as far back as he can to get the, um, to get the truth. And I think he generally hedges where, you know, where it's like, now we can't really be sure that this is the way this happened, but this is the way that people agree. And I think that he also does a good job of his perspective, I think, is generally what must it have been like to live through this? What what was it like for human beings on the ground, living their lives, dealing with this stuff? And I think that um, I think when that's kind of your thesis, extrapolating kind of that, especially in, in terms of war and, you know, major turning points in history, then. I think the facts may, might not be as important because it's more about the way it was experienced and the way it was remembered. Um, and, and generally, I think he does a pretty good job, especially when he's dealing with more modern events, like, you know, when he was doing World War I and World War II, and he was using the diaries of, you know, generals and soldiers, you know, who were, you know, involved at the time, um, you know. But I think he I think he tries to play it as straight as possible. And yeah, the further you get back into history, the facts do become more blurry. But I, I it's it's a very enthralling listen, even though he has a little bit of a uh, iconoclastic um, radio voice that can be a little uh, can be a little grating sometimes. But yeah, cool. So we've been lamenting how kind of dry this summer has been for news and uh, stuff to talk about in our little corner of pop culture. So I thought maybe because we're right here just on the cusp of summer turning into fall, um, you know, the third quarter turning into the fourth quarter. Um, and we thought maybe this would be a good time to check in on all the stuff that's going to be coming out in the rest of this year and kind of talk about what we're looking forward to, what we're excited about, um, and kind of see where, you know, how the rest of 2017 is going to play out, at least in the pop culture world. That's all I, that's all I can even stand to look at right now. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I thought maybe we could start with video games. Um, I think the first thing, the first thing that's on my mind that comes out next week is destiny Two. Did you play any of Destiny 1? I did not. Do you How much do you know about Destiny 1? I know that it is a FPS MMO on the Xbox platform that seemed cool uh that your robot was Tyrion, right? Uh, for a while. For a while. 
They replaced um, him with Nathan Fillion because. Oh, so, that's good. Wait, was it Nathan Fillion? No, Nathan Fillion played a different character. They replaced him with um, a very notable voiceover actor whose name escapes me. I want to say Troy Baker, but I could be wrong. Um, yeah, no, you had your little robot companion that was played by Peter Dinklage. And uh, there was a lot of ink spilled about how bad or maybe genius his performance was. But then once they started to, I think what happened was they got enough pushback on his performance and they also, um, they wanted to add DLC and it was probably too expensive or, you know, logistically difficult to call up Peter Dinklage and have him come and record a whole bunch of new stuff for the new DLC. So they replaced him. Uh, yes. So it's not quite an MMO. But it borrows a lot from MMOs and it borrows a lot from kind of loot based games like Diablo, but it is built by Bungie who made Halo. So the actual like shooting mechanics, uh, just feel really, really good. Um, but the first game had a lot of problems. Um, and even though they fixed a lot of those with DLC and expansions, um, it's a game that a lot of people got tired of. There's a whole lot of grinding involved in that game. And, um, you know, it has MMO elements like raids where you need to assemble a party and communicate very effectively. And you all need to have the exact right gear to go into the raid. And that turned a lot of people off, myself included. I kind of bounced off the game once you get to a certain, you kind of get to a certain point and you're like, there's a lot more game here, but it requires a commitment that I'm not ready for. But Destiny 2 comes out next week, and all of the initial reviews are very, very good, and they say they fixed a lot of the problems with the first game. And um, it's just a ton of fun to play, and um, the co-op is is actually a lot of fun as well, getting, you know, teaming up with friends and uh, taking on bosses and um, that sort of thing. So I'm, you know, uh, I, I might actually pre-order this video game. Never pre-order, man. Come on. Okay, so the only reason I would pre-order is so that it can download to my PS4 in advance, and then I can just start playing it when I get home from work on Tuesday instead of like, great, now I've got a six-hour download before I can play my game. <laughs> That's fair. And even if I went to the store and bought the disc, I'd still have to do another like 20 gig, you know, day one patch. So anyway, um, so Destiny 2 looks really good, and it is coming to PC for, for you people, but I think it... Uh, it doesn't hit till like October. Mm. Yeah, the master race. We like to let things, you know, marinate a little bit, get a finer vintage. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. This this coming from the whole Steam early access games don't ever get released anymore. They just hang out in early access for seven years. Hey, we're playing a game that's still technically in closed or open beta. So <laughs> the, the, the biggest video game right now, uh, PUBG, is not a, technically not released that's like the biggest video game in the world yeah uh, anyway so um that's next week week after that um there's a new dishonored game it's not quite it's not dlc but it's also not a full game it's called death of the outsider did you ever play any dishonored nope <laughs> i'm bad at this part of the podcast <laughs> I might right, be well, talking Dishonored, to like my mom. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so you, I, I recommend Dishonored to you know a, just about everybody because um, it's a great, it's a lot of fun to play. It's one of these 
Um, you can be sneaky. You don't have to be sneaky. It's mission-based, objective-based. Um, and the conceit of the first game was you're an assassin and you can complete every mission with only one kill being the target, but also every mission has an, has an option to somehow non-lethally dispatch this person. So there's a lot of puzzle solving involved and sneaking around and trying to figure out how do I do, how, what's the non-lethal option? How do I find it? Um, so Dishonored 2 came out earlier and it was really good. And this new one is a new character, a new side story. But another great thing about Dishonored, possibly the, the best thing about Dishonored is the world building and the fiction. It Steampunk is not at all the right word, but it's more like whaling punk. And it takes place in kind of this, you know, um, post-Renaissance, you know, early steam power, whaling um, type world. But there's a lot of mystical stuff going on. Um, whales may or may not be uh, otherworldly. Um, and the uh, the detail in the world building uh, is just phenomenal. And it's a kind of world building in video games that we don't see a lot. You know, it's not medieval, it's not, um, you know, military, and the world is so lovingly crafted that even if you don't really go in for stealth games, yeah, I think it's it's worth a play, the first two games at least, um, just to kind of enjoy the fiction and the world building. It's really, really good. Interesting. Does it like feel like Englandy, New Englandy? Is that why you like it? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think... Uh, yeah, I mean it's it's vaguely European, but in that kind of you know age of sail, you know steamship kind of uh, kind of way. Um, there's a little bit of Lovecraft creeping in around the edges. Ooh. There's a little bit of like Tom Waitsy kind of feeling to it because there's a lot of like gruff dock hands, <laughs> you know, stained in whale oil, you know, uh, trudging around. Uh, it's really great. It's, I'm going to nod a, and pretend to know who that is. Mm -hmm. yep. You know who Tom Waits is, I, you monster. I really don't. <laughs> you horrible monster. I mean, he's like a singer, right? Yeah, well, that I, uh, to be reductive, yes. Okay. <laughs> I knew that before you said that, but <laughs> anyway. <laughs> All right. So the next thing on my list, I know you have an opinion about. This comes out uh, October 10th. This is Middle Earth Shadow of War. Yes, please. 100%. <laughs> By that, I mean, I'm saying I'm going to 100% it. Oh, no, I probably won't. I always get to like 95. And I'm just like, ah, fuck the last 5% of these games. They're just so hard. <laughs> <laughs> but man, I... Uh... Oh, it's just total nonsense fan fiction. Like, and apparently, I, I learned, I was reading articles that apparently in one of the more recent trailers, there's like a sexy woman with spider powers. And they're like, yeah, that's that's Shalab. Yeah, yeah. She's, she's, she's just a sexy lady in our game. And I'm like, <laughs> you glorious assholes. Yeah, people were like having a weird discussion about it online. Like, on one hand, more women in Tolkien is good. On the other hand, like making them all sexy, sexy, maybe not so good. Like, I don't know what to think. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm not happy about the representation, <laughs> but I'm totally happy about how fast and loose these guys are playing with all of it. I also saw something. I don't know all the details, but there is a Totino's sponsored pre-order bonus or in-game content or something. Totino's is in on Shadow of War, which is... <laughs> That sounds like a good weekend. I'm just going to like buy Shadow War, buy just a bunch of Totinos and just be be happy. Fat yeah, and happy. 
I I am so excited about Shadow of War because did you ever play any of the Saints Row games? Mm, I watched some people play them sometime, but no, okay. I haven't. So Saints Row for for you and for everybody else started out as kind of a generic Grand Theft Auto knockoff back when that was where the money was to be made, but gradually progressed. Like every game, they just got a little bit crazier and stupider and crazier and stupider so that by the end of the third game, um, you were the president, <laughs> like, but also still like running around shooting cars with rocket launchers. <laughs> you know, like you start out as like the boss of a, of like a street gang and then you end up as the president. By the end of the fourth game, you are a time traveling superhero. <laughs> <laughs> And then the last true Saints Row game, which is kind of a, you know, one of these little kind of like half price, little kind of one-offs. Uh, the you're EP literally, of games. Yeah. You're literally uh, escaping from hell. <laughs> like, and the fact that like every game they're just like, they just had fewer and fewer fucks to give about having it make any sense. They're just like, let's just do cool shit. And that's what I love about Shadow of War. It is the Saints Row of J.R.R. Tolkien. Like, they're just like, no, fuck it. Everybody gets a ring of power. Who cares? <laughs> oh, I love it. Uh, yeah. Um, and then also right there before Halloween, uh, a new Wolfenstein game, the new Colossus. Um, the last Wolfenstein game. Uh, the new order, I think it was, was this surprise hit that everybody loved was really, really good. Um, not just as like a, a good fun to play shooter, but also like, wow, you guys like actually took Wolfenstein and made it cool, but it, it takes place in an alternate, like I think 1950s where Germany had, you know, had won the war, but they won the war with like robots and occult technology. So not just one of these like man in the high castle, like it just went differently. It's like, no, it's a whole totally different world with all this cool, like lightning guns and stuff. And you're part of the resistance. And, um, there's a new game in that series coming out and I'm just so jazzed. I mean, number one, you know, being able to virtually kill some Nazis feels just about right in this day and age um and again it's a game that just like dishonor just like shadow of war like it's got it's a, it's got a really clear sense of style and it goes for it like one of the um side characters in the first game because again this takes place in kind of an alternate 1950s 1960s where you know things are different and one of the resistance people you're working with is very clearly an alternate history Jimi hendrix <laughs> Um, because, you know, like Jimi Hendrix was in the army for, you know, and so, it all, you know, it kind of matches up and you're like, yes, this is so good. So, um, that should be a nice fun romp. I'm looking forward to that. And just in time to get us psyched up about, you know, a new Star Wars movie, Star Wars Battlefront 2. Uh, and mainly we've talked about this before that the single player looks really, really exciting not only because it's written by one of the guys who did Spec Ops The Line, which is one of my all-time favorite, like, video game writing uh, works, but also because it is, you're playing a, you know, a rebellion, or not a rebellion, you're playing an empire soldier. And, um, you know, bringing some shades of gray to the Star Wars universe is is always welcome in my book. Yeah, I mean, I'm really excited for this. Uh, I played, you know, I was in like the, the beta weekend, one of the open beta weekends for Battlefront 1. And I was really excited because I thought it looked really cool. And I got in and played it and I was just like, uh, I just, just, it was just like, I couldn't point out exactly what it was outside of the fact that fact that the only thing they brought from the earlier Battlefront games was that the ships were just impossible to pilot. <laughs> um, I just basically used them as battering rams as much as I could. Uh, 
it just it just didn't feel like it looked nice like it had cool stuff in it but it just didn't it just didn't i didn't enjoy it i don't think it a lot of people really liked it it kind of i heard it yeah. kind of died out pretty quick which is it did you know, sad but and, and i wasn't looking for just like battlefront 3 i mean those are cool games like 20 years ago but like come on not 20 years ago no, i'm kidding but uh you know like they were just like their own style that would not work now but yeah i was okay with like all right let's make it battlefield but star wars i'm okay with that but like they just kind of yes. like did it half-assed i felt like and hopefully they can kind of just get a firmer grasp on what they want to do with this game yeah i think they um i think that they are bringing it closer to the battlefield games um based on the feedback they heard from the first one which is probably a little too close to the battlefront games um well, i think people wanted a more technical shooter and i think that you know that's what people are ready for because the battlefront games the original ones were you know they were not serious technical games but people have moved on and even the people who grew up playing those battlefront games like they've been playing video games for 10 years in between they're better now they want something a little bit more meaty and i think that's the direction they're going and just looking at some of the gameplay footage i mean watching one of those trailers at e3 it was one of my fuck you that's not real uh moments but um it just looks great and i think i'm gonna be in a star wars kind of mood <laughs> at the end of this year yeah, I'll have to look into that. I mean, if it's good, I I've realized that, like, I'm just not very good at FPSs, and I know I could get better at them. And it's not like I'm terrible. I mean, I can't use, oh, I did find out recently that I can't use dual analog anymore. I just turned it in my grandma. I'm just like, whoa, how does this work? I'm like, I'm the guy in the middle of the room, like, spinning in a circle. Like, I'm just, I'm just so terrible. Gun pointed at the sky. I was at a friend's house, and he's like, want to play some Nazi zombies? I'm like, sure, that sounds fun. I'm like, holy crap, holy crap, I can't do this. Like, get, where's the mouse and keyboard? Do you have an adapter? Like, it's really pathetic. Am I even good at it on mouse and keyboard? So, um when it comes to like you know single player is fine but when it comes to you know the multiplayer stuff that i like to play it's just that unless it has like i like to call them the non-skill based classes like playing lucio <laughs> in overwatch it's like yeah i don't have to actually hit people to, to make to be i effective. just have to stay alive <laughs> yeah so uh that'd be you know hopefully i can play some of that because i do miss me some some star wars gaming yeah so i guess that wraps up i don't have any games because i I'm one of those people who just plays the same games for years, the same multiplayer online games, like just playing Eternal and Heroes of the Storm and Overwatch sometimes. And I mean, I haven't been booted up The Witcher in probably like a month and I really need to do that some more, but I just find it hard. I don't know. I'm never in the mood. I feel like, you know, my my prime time to play a single player game is like Saturday mornings at like 10 a.m., mm -hmm. you know, just play for six hours <laughs> and guess, guess how long, like guess how often that is available in my life at this point. And I'm, yeah. Very rarely. No, I used to have a real good thing going on where like, you know, because used to be I would wake up before Karen, you know, uh, on, a, on a weekend where, you know, we don't have a schedule. I w I'm a little bit more of an early riser than she is. So I could get in like a good like three hours on Saturday or Sunday morning, just go in and just play. Some, and uh, that is no longer an option for me. <laughs> so as much as I say I'm going to play Destiny, I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to play Destiny. I mean, that's why Eternal is so great for me right now, you know, being a new dad is I can pick it up. I can play for five minutes. I can, you know, knock out a couple matches and then, you know, put it down and walk away. And it's on my iPad. I don't have to go through the whole like boot up process of all the other, you know, the PS4. But um, yeah, I'm going to try to make some time for Destiny because um, I'm a little addicted to Eternal and I think I need to I think I need some methadone for that. Yeah, I, I kind of feel the same. I need to, I think I need to carve out some like structured 
me time for just single player video game because I, I do I do want to try and do that or just like pick up something else that decides what I'm usually doing. But I'm in a rut, I think. I'm in a video game rut. Uh, anyway, so I also, the opposite of this, I wanted to bring up some books, but I can only think of one, which is, uh, in November, Oathbringer, uh, Brandon Sanderson's, the third, his third book in the Stormlight Archive series, uh, is due out. It's gonna be a big one. We're looking at probably 1,300 pages. Good God. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I think, I think he's like, yeah, I'm really starting to push tour, you know, the publishing company's limits on what we can put in a book. Uh, I mean, in other countries, they usually split it up, but for some reason, America is like, nah, we'll just, it's our style. Let's just make it as big as possible. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that. I mean, I can't recommend the series enough to people. I mean, I, I've heard people criticize Mistborn and Elantris and all of his books, but I've never, all those people are like, yeah, but Stormlight's awesome. Mm -hmm. I mean, they just, it's just really, really, really good. Uh, and that comes out in November. I'm looking forward to it. And there's no way else because... All the other fantasy authors are slow as balls. <laughs> yeah, slow. Won't, we certainly won't be reading Winds of Winter this year. Yeah, and I mean, I really appreciate what Joe Abercrombie's doing about he's writing the next three books in one go. His next hmm. first law trilogy, he's just going to write them all and then release them to avoid, I guess, this and also have good planning and stuff. But that's a lot of writing to get done and not release anything, I feel like. So who knows if that'll actually happen, but... I don't know. Uh, I'm just worried because I just feel like after this, you know, I've been looking forward to this book for a while and I just don't know. I mean, he, you know, Sanderson's going to be taking a little bit of a break to recalibrate after writing 1300 pages and in a year and a half, essentially. So, um, Martin. Good God. Good God. Machine. He's a machine. Um, yeah, I think it's probably uh, two years maybe, but, uh, but yeah, so keep your eyes out for that if you're into it. And if not, if you start now and you read a thousand pages a month, <laughs> You'll be almost ready for Uh First book's called Way of Kings, in case you're interested. It's usually, it, it goes on sale on Amazon a lot for like a dollar, so. Huh, yeah. But. All right, so should we break for news? Let's do it. Last week, we talked about Ed Skrine, or Screen, however, being cast in Hellboy. And first, I would like to correct, he was not the villain in Daredevil. I said Daredevil, I meant Deadpool. I heard Deadpool, so I was like, wait, what? Yeah, no, it's weird, because I, I went back and I listened to the episode, and I said Daredevil twice. I apparently, you know, guys in red outfits, I get confused. But um, he'd been cast as uh, Ben Daimio in the uh, in the Hellboy movies, and we noticed, and other people noticed, that uh, that's a little strange, given that that character is notably Japanese-American. And just this week, um, he voluntarily dropped out of the movie, Um essentially saying, you know, when I, when I signed on for this, I didn't, I was unfamiliar with the character and I didn't know that this was a, you know, you know, an Asian American character and, um, I'm going to drop out so that, and I quote, so that the role can be cast appropriately. And I've got to say, major respect, man. Like, act. like that's, he's walking away from a, from a significant paycheck. Um, you know, evidently on his own volition, you know, the producers didn't push him on this. Apparently this was his idea. Um, and saying, you know, like, I don't, you know, this, this isn't the right role for me. Um, so good for him. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I wonder if this will be a trend you'll start to see. I mean, I think people just won't be taking parts, but it's kind of a good, I mean, it's funny because if he would have been offered it and said he's Japanese American, no, like it probably would have never gotten any press, you know what right, I mean? Right. 
So it's kind of interesting in that way. But yeah, I think it's, it's, it's a good it's a good play to just be humble and just say, I didn't know. I'm sorry. And just move on. Yeah. And for, you know, I mean, and you could make the argument that it's a cynical move that, you know, like Tilda Swinton got personal backlash for playing the Ancient One in Doctor Strange. And this is, you know, the cynical play could be like, hey, I'm, you know, just kind of, you know, breaking out in my career. I don't want this hanging over my head. But based on the statement, it seemed pretty sincere. So good on him. So I'm going to I'm going to talk about a thing now that, you know, I've never mentioned on the show before because, um, you know, I don't, I don't think I've ever mentioned it before, but it's kind of uh, was brought to my attention that uh, Takashi Miike, um, noted Japanese director, um, sometimes referred to as like the Japanese Tarantino. So very stylistic, very violent, very grindhousey. His 100th movie. Uh, is coming out. They released a trailer, and it is for Blade of the Hundredth. Hundredth. Uh, <laughs> My God, it is for Blade of the Immortal, which is a uh, comic series that I. It's over. It's been over for a while now by uh, Hiroaki Samura that I loved and devoured every bit of, and it's this samurai story about this one particular samurai who's cursed with essentially wolverine healing factor oh yeah you brought this up during the wolverine episode did i all right yeah cool. yeah um but cool. he's he's cursed with this thing and uh he he's going to be immortal until he has killed 1000 evil men <laughs> and um and he gets picked up by this girl who's on a quest for revenge and he figures that's a good way to knock off some evil men from his list and it's a it's a great series but the trailer for this thing looks so so bonkers because and i don't know if this was an intentional stylistic choice or not but it kind of looks and feels like other than some of the special effects for some of like the regeneration and um you know some of the you know action photography um, it looks a lot like a, like, samurai movie from, like, the 70s or 80s, just in terms of, like, costumes and lighting, and it just feels really stylistic, and it looks amazing. I'm gonna link the, the, the trailer in the, uh, in the show notes, but I was actually, when, because later on when we were talking about movies, I was scrolling through, like, what are the movies that are coming out this year? And somewhere I saw on the list, like, Blade of the Immortal, Limited, and I was like, that can't be right. That's got to be something else. There's no way they made a movie out of this dumb comic book about a, about an immortal samurai. Like, nah, 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 nah. But yep, it is real and it looks so, so good. Um, I mean, you a lot of like, you know, samurai drama can come off a little, a little stilted and overwrought. Um, but because he's framing it up in this more pulpy, maybe Tarantino-ish way. It just, it all reads so good. I'm very excited about this. Is it a comic or a manga? I, I just say comic because it's, I okay. mean, I mean, yes, it's, 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 it's a manga. It's, it's a, it's a Japanese work. Um, it's published by Dark Horse in the States, but it's not, it definitely doesn't have the typical art style and, um, genre conventions that you might associate with other manga. Okay, that's kind of um, what I was getting at. Yeah. I mean, it, it definitely has a Japanese style to the art, but um, has I hesitate to call it manga because that carries a lot of associations with it of a certain style that I don't think this really fits in with. So cool, that sounds cool. Uh, I like me some grindhouse style, crazy bonkers <laughs> movies. Yep. Uh, so last week we talked a lot about 
the DC universe and, you know, the movie universe to be precise and, you know, the dumpster fire that it is. And just people keep throwing more trash on because uh, Matt Reeves said that, no, 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 the Batman is part of the DCEU. But the thing is, he said, I looked at the quote, and he said, no, 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 of course it's part of the DC universe. And it's like, well, yeah, 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 but that's not what you're, like, let's, be, <laughs> let's get our precise thing. Like, are you saying, like, it was in response to them not saying it's part of the extended universe, so it makes you think he's saying it is, but maybe he's just, like, being vague or doesn't, I mean, I won't say he wouldn't understand, that's ridiculous, I'd hope, but, like, <laughs> maybe it's just like, oh, no, of course it's part of DC universe. It's like, yeah, but is it part of the Snyder murderverse? I don't know. Yeah, I'm 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 very confused. I mean, the the closest I could get to what he was saying was like, okay, so it's going to be the Ben Affleck Batman and it's going to take place in the same kind of world that's been established, but it's not going to directly tie in. It's just a side story and but isn't that what all of these things are? I don't know. I mean, every freaking I mean, we recorded that episode and between between in the 48 hours between when we recorded it and when I posted that stupid thing. All of that news about DC had been like corrected and screwed with and oh, another Joker man. movie thrown on the pile. Yes, now they're making the rather than making Gotham City Sirens, which was, you know, would have been a Harley Quinn, Poison Ivy, Catwoman, you know, kind of caper flick, which would have been great. That's a movie I would actually like to see. Um they're going to replace that with a "Quote unquote crime love story between the Jared Leto Joker and and Harley Quinn. You know that abusive couple that teenagers now think are cool. Uh, they're making that movie instead. And I mean, look, by the time we go to air next week, I mean the Batman movie is going to be like a web series that you access by buying Axe body spray. It's who knows. This thing changes so many times. I don't know. I just I'm so like." I don't know. Well, I'll, I'll talk more about when we talk about movies for this fall. In our next <laughs> segment. Uh, another kind of some. It's been a kind of weird news collection today. But uh, so Terry Pratchett, who um, you know passed away recently, uh, I guess not so recently at this point, but um, he had asked that all of his unfinished work. He had a dying request about his. You know, a lot of authors have unpublished work they're working on, and sometimes people take those and do things with them. You know. Sometimes at their request, like Robert Jordan, you know, asked to have the series be finished by Brandon Sanderson. Uh, or sometimes, you know, maybe not like Tolkien and his family and all that drama. But uh, in this case, Terry Project ha has a very specific request that all of his unfinished work was on a hard drive. And it was supposed to be destroyed via a steamroller by Neil Gaiman. <laughs> and it has been done. <laughs> <laughs> Why did it take so long? What's Neil got going on? I don't know. Maybe they're collecting everything and putting it on a hard drive. Who knows? But um, yeah, so I thought I was like, all right, that's pretty cool. Uh, it's good that they, people can honor that and not just try and cash in. Uh, speaking of cashing in. So I only bring this up because it firmly sits in the realm of fantasy in my mind. Uh, you know, this isn't our metal podcast, although sometimes we, you know, digress into it at points. We'll start that some other day. But um, Devin Townsend, a prolific and pretty well-respected metal musician, all kinds of musician, really. Um, he is writing a symphony and says he wants $10 million to produce it and has been going around the country and pitching it to different places. I think he pitched it to Sony a couple months back and is, I don't know if he's going to start a, it doesn't sound like he's starting like a Kickstarter or anything like that because that's, that's a lot of money to fund through a Kickstarter. But he said that uh, it's this crazy 
opera symphony thing that he's not sure what form it's going to take, but that he thinks he needs $10 million to do it correctly, which I don't know how much, I mean, I know music making is expensive. Greg, maybe you can comment here, but like, that seems like a lot of money. Uh, it does sound like a lot of money. Because I mean, like, I listen to a lot of symphonic bands that like record with full symphonies and like not tour with full symphonies, but like, you know, play shows with full symphonies. And like, they're not bands that are throwing millions of dollars. Like, I'm sorry, like Rhapsody is not throwing around millions of dollars to get like these symphonies to play with them, I feel like, or let alone Blind Guardian or Epic are one of those, you know, like they're doing these shows and recording this stuff. Here's, I, I don't know. here's the thing. I'm sure he doesn't need $10 million to get the musicians together. And to make the recording. I'm sure he doesn't need that. I'm very excited about what he plans to do with the 9.999 million that will be left over. That's what I'm interested in. And I say, give him this money. Give it to him. Give him this money. Every red cent, I want to see what Devin Townsend would do with $10 million at a symphony orchestra. I would I would sooner contribute to that than I would the uh valerie plame's effort to buy twitter so they can kick trump off of it like i'm more excited about devin townsend spending 10 million dollars on something because that dude rarely fucks up anymore but uh man i uh, make it happen yeah i was just thinking the other day like i was just thinking this past week because i was thinking about conscious going to this fall and music and stuff and i was like man you know what we haven't had three devin townsend albums this year like what's going on <laughs> and it's just like he's been working on this and he said he's kind of, you know, wants to back off some of the more commercial stuff he's been working on, which like this, he says says so he likes and he thinks is good, but it's just he likes to back kind of go back and forth between wacky projects and, you know, kind of like career money making projects. And I guess this is his time to go this direction. Uh, <laughs> who knows? Yes, please make it 20 million. I want to <laughs> see what he does with it. Yeah, I mean, I, I have no idea. I mean, my thought was like, is he going to like try and do some crazy tour that like with a full symphony, like almost like his retinal circus he did, uh, you know, it's like this, this crazy production he did in England for a live show of his one album. And it sounded crazy and super expensive. And I was like, is he just going to do that? But like in every state in America or something crazy. I don't I don't care what it is. I want to see it. <laughs> so uh, go ahead and start throwing your money towards Devin Townsend. <laughs> Let's talk about movies. Movies. Yeah. So so next week it comes out. Nope. Are you excited about nope, it? Nope. 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 <laughs> it looks good, dude. I've heard it looks very good. Uh, I'm I was very skeptical because like most Stephen Kings, that story's kind of f- fucking bonkers. And um it's about I mean there's a there's a scary clown in it, and it's like, what year is it? But it looks good. Can you just give me like a 30 second rundown of what it is about? Okay. It is about a ancient entity that feeds on fear and it takes the form of what you are most afraid of in order to harvest that fear. And it lives under a town in New England. And every 30 years it comes out to feed. And the story of it is about a group of kids who have a run in with it as children. And then 30 years later, when it comes back, they decide to fight it. Interesting. Okay. Uh, and its most commonly known form is Pennywise the clown, but also it's sometimes a giant spider or, um, you know, whatever you happen to be afraid of. Sounds scary. Uh, I was, I was watching, I was talking to someone at work about this and they were reading it and I was like, that book is huge. 
Yes. It's like a thousand pages. Yeah, because it's essentially two books. It's the story of the kids and then when they're grownups. Yeah, and they're making two movies, right? The story of the kids and then which, yeah, because this is like they're doing the kids movie and they're doing the adults movie, which I was told was weird because in the book, it's sort of like back and forth the whole time. I think so. Yeah, I haven't read the book. Okay. I'm just um, familiar with it. I, I feel weird that Stephen King's like, I haven't, I haven't read any Stephen King, so I probably can't comment, but I've always, always had this like idea of what he was in my mind. And then as I learned more about like the dark tower and it and all these crazy things he's done, it's like, how does, how is he so popular? Cause this stuff just sounds bonkers. Again, I mean, there is just something hypnotic about his writing and there's a, there's a logic to his stuff that works on the page. But when you say it out loud, it doesn't make sense. It's just like, just kind of like dreams where they make sense when you're having them. But then when you try to explain them to someone, you're like, this doesn't, this is stupid. Why am I saying this? But, um, I guess that's yeah. why so many adaptations struggle then. He's, 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 there's something about his writing style that, um, and I think it's because, you know, I think we talked about this in our horror episode. Um, he has a way of tapping into childhood, your sense of childhood that makes things that normally wouldn't be scary, very scary and very believable. Gotcha. All right. Well, I hope it's good. I'm not going to see it because I might like I'd be more inclined to read it. I feel like I could read horror and not be so scared by it than actually like watching it. I just get too immersed in movies and TV. But yeah, and I would almost I mean, truthfully, when I think about Stephen King, he gets pegged as a horror writer, but I would almost classify most of his stuff more as just like it's almost more like dark fantasy that happens to take place in, in a world like our own, you know, that has some scary parts, but it's not horror in the same way that, you know, it's not like you're like you, you close the book and you shiver and you're like, oh, I have some nightmares tonight. It's just like, oh, that was some fucked up shit that happened. No, man. I, I mean, I don't know if I've ever explained to you how like and a lot of my friends know, but and Shay certainly knows how vividly I dream and how much I dream. Like I pretty much dream eight hours a night every single night for my entire life. It's very exhausting. And I can't I can't have scary shit mixed in that, man. It's already bonkers enough. Fair enough. Uh well, there was a time when I was very you know, reading The Walking Dead and like playing Resident Evil and all those kind of things. And like I basically had a zombie apocalypse stream every single night for about two years <laughs> and ranging from like Shaun of the Dead laughable to like Peter Pants scary and everything in between. And I just can't I can't do it, man. Anyway, let's move on. <laughs> yeah, there's another scary movie. No, At least it looks pretty scary. Uh, coming out in two weeks called Mother with an exclamation point. Uh, this is Darren Aronofsky's next movie. Darren Aronofsky, his last movie, I believe, was Black Swan. Um, you also know him from The Fountain, uh, Requiem for a Dream, Pi, and uh, the best spec script for Batman uh, um, reboot that, you know, was never filmed. But before Nolan came on, he was, Aronofsky had a, was going to make a Batman movie and had a really awesome idea, um, which we may talk about someday. But it's uh jennifer lawrence is married to javier bardem they're in a house in the country and then ed harris shows up and like becomes their house guest and then his wife michelle pfeiffer shows up and becomes their house guest and things get weird and scary i know that doesn't sound like much <laughs> when i say it out loud but i really like aronofsky as a director um especially his weirder stuff and this looks super weird and again you know I'm going to pay money to go see Ed Harris on screen. That's that's worth it to me. Speak, did you get that? Uh, speaking of money, did you get that that movie thing? Movie Pass? Yeah. No, I haven't got it yet. I think, but you 
signed up, right? No, I didn't. I don't go to a lot of movies, but I was kind of like, I mean, I feel like I would for that. Like, I don't know. I mean, I guess I have to get two of them, but <laughs> like, well, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. But like, I, I mean, I would go to movies more often if it was that that easy. So this thing we're talking about, Movie Pass, you've probably heard about it, but it is, it's a new service where you pay $10 a month and they give you a special debit card and a special smartphone app that allow you to basically, you can use that debit card to buy essentially infinite movie tickets during the course of the month. One ticket per day, obviously you can only see one movie a day, but for $10 a month, unlimited movies for the month. And... It's kind of causing a big hubbub and certain theaters are trying to figure out how they can like not take it because it just works like a debit card. So it's like, well, you can't not take it. But um, it's run by I think it's it, it's was started by one of the Netflix guys. And originally when they were beta testing it, it was like $30 a month and you can only see two movies or something like that. But um, uh, the idea is that they're going to build up a enough subscribers that they can then go to the theaters and say, okay, now you've got to start giving us a discount on the tickets because look how many people we have as a part of our program. Look how many people we're going to be bringing into your theater to buy your popcorn. But, um, yeah, I mean, if you, if you're going to see, and depending on where you live, um, if you're going to see one movie a month, this thing looks like it's going to pay for itself real quick. Especially when I look at the list of movies that are coming out this year, it's like, yeah, I can definitely, <laughs> uh, I could definitely burn through that money and say, you know, and, uh, and save, but, um, no, I haven't given it a try. I'm, I'm considering it, um, because it does look like there's enough movies coming out over the next three to six months to make it worth my while, but it's also very difficult, you know, in my situation to disappear for two hours, you know, um, you know, to go watch, um, ed harris creep out jennifer lawrence <laughs> yeah i mean if and if our our movie previews here get you a jazz go look it up oh i heard something ridiculous like you know they've had some they've had some trouble getting some people the cards oh, i know some people have gotten them some of my friends have gotten them and they've used it and said it works great um because i think this i said they said like when they launched this company has like less than 10 employees or something ridiculous like that yeah it's like super lean and just i guess they're all just i don't know it's gonna be weird but anyway let's move on to kingsman yes uh kingsman the first Kingsman movie was a movie I did not think I was going to enjoy, but man, I loved that movie. Um, and it, it should be obvious enough when I tell you the premise, it's about a bunch of British super spies. So already check, uh, whose secret base is run out of a traditional tailor's shop on Savile Row, double check. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just completely like, you know, absolute no fucks given just over-the-top action, and it looks like they are trying to top themselves with this new one, where they meet up with their American counterparts who are just as stereotypical and goofy, and they're all like, you know, cowboys with whips, and, and this, this takes place in the modern day, of course, and um, uh, it just looks just absolute bonkers, and uh, the first movie was just a ton of fun to watch, and one of those movies that just stylistically knows exactly what it wants to be. And I was a little worried because I was like, Hey, I kind of like British spy movies. Please don't make fun of them. And it's not, it is to Kingsman is to James Bond as cabin in the woods is to horror movies. Mm. Like it's a, it is a, it is a love letter to them as much as it is a deconstruction. I did not realize that these were based on Mark Miller comics, uh, which interestingly enough, 
Another point in a bit of news is that um, Netflix just bought all the rights to all his stuff, essentially. Yeah. To, like Wanted, Kick-Ass. I mean, he's a ton, a ton of things, I guess, is our whole comic company. And, but I guess like the film rights for Kingsman will still stay with whoever is producing them, mm-hmm. but there might be TV options, huh. you know, taken. So I don't know if anything to do with the comics, though. So I know Wanted was very different in the movie form than in the comic form, yeah. from what I've been told. And I feel like the best version of Wanted is somewhere halfway between the movie and the comics. <laughs> yeah, Mark Miller has some problems. Yes. Uh, anyway, so I haven't seen The Kingsman first one. I've heard it's really good. I really want to watch it at some point. Um, just one of those movies. It's like, that sounds good. Just never got around to, to seeing it. Yeah, but the, the henchman is a pretty girl with swords for legs. <laughs> Can't top that, I guess. Yeah. And the bad guy is Samuel L. Jackson, who speaks with a lisp for no reason. Of course he does. Oh, <laughs> uh, good old Sammy. So, I mean, I guess we're moving on all here. So, uh, I didn't realize this was coming out, like, you know, in like basically a month, you know, Blade Runner yeah, 2049. Man. Yeah. Uh, I just watched like the second more extended trailer. I, I kind of like missed out on some of the trailers. I watched the first one or so. And, but, um, I think it looks pretty good. Yeah, man. It looks really good. I think it's a good role for Jared Leto. I mean. Yeah. Some weirdo. <laughs> some weirdo yeah, who's some probably weirdo. a robot. Like, yeah, that's kind of what you are. Jared Leto. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And was that Batista in it? I'm not sure. I don't know that I've watched the most recent version that you have. Gotcha. Uh, but I mean, this is hard for me because like, I, you know, I really want to watch Blade Runner again. I watched it once and I'm not sure which cut i watch which i know is very crucial to you know how you react to it yeah. but um and like i explained this before i think but just how just like i just feel like it, it loses it's like i've just been made aware of this seinfeld is unfunny trope or meme that like people say things that like people say something like, like seinfeld is unfunny which i am in the camp of but <sighs> jesus you uh, don't know who tom waits is you don't think seinfeld is funny who are you I'm culturally ignorant. We've been over this. Uh, but but that like that is only true to someone like me because every other thing has copied that relentlessly yes. since then and now has become old hat. And it's sort of that's how I feel about Blade Runner a little bit, where it's like this idea of who's a robot, who's not, you know, that kind of thing. And some like the philosophical part of that, like, I mean, it's still a beautiful movie to watch yeah. and with some good, great performances. But I just the plot itself felt bland to me. But I think it's just because of that kind of problem. Yeah. And I think that Blade Runner isn't a movie that someone should watch for plot. Uh, it's, a, it's a movie that, you know, is more about a mood and a feeling. And um, it's, a, it's almost a meditation. Um, although this next one looks like it's going to be a lot more <laughs> plot heavy. And, oh, it just looks so good. It just looks so good. Yeah, as long as I can combine both, have the plot and the mood and and, you know, style and everything which i think from the trailers it looks like it does at least and then hopefully he'll be able to ride it hopefully it's a big success and he'll be able to ride denny vini will be able to ride that right into a really awesome dune movie yeah i mean if anybody can do it it's gonna be him so about a month after that we get thor ragnarok which i mean we beat to death about how good it looks i think yeah standing is like this might be the movie i'm looking forward to most out of the fall season uh just because it just looks like so much fun yeah, I can't. I can't decide. You know, if I had to pick which one, if I only see one, I I don't know if I could pick between Blade Runner and Thor. They both look good, and they look so good at like they picked what they wanted to be, and they just ran headlong into it. And uh, yeah, we've talked a lot about Thor, and we've talked a lot about this next movie on the list, Justice League. Uh, I mean, I might go see the train wreck just to see it, but like 
only if I can get like a six dollar ticket and go <laughs> on a Saturday morning and just be like, all right, like maybe like have a couple drinks beforehand or like go with some friends and make fun of it. But uh, I mean, I'm just curious to see two two directors essentially with such specific styles. You know what I mean? And to see what comes out of it, more from just like a film critic academic standpoint, less than like. I have any interest in anything going on in this movie whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, man, I have, I have zero interest in yeah what went into it, what's coming out of it. But I want to see because I'm not sure if it was you who was telling me this last week or something. Karen mentioned that you know apparently before Joss Whedon came in, the reports are the movie was unwatchable. Yeah, <laughs> and wowie zowie, because I mean, I would say that Batman versus Superman was borderline unwatchable. This. Again, yeah, I don't want to throw any money at it because I don't want to encourage them to keep doing this. But I'm also super curious. <laughs> it's it's the yeah, I mean it's like that's like the eternal struggle, I think, sometimes. Uh I, I mean we'll see. It like I said, if it if it comes around and it's cheap, I'll go to it maybe. But I, I do I am conscious of where I put my money for movies because I don't wanna encourage bad behavior. <laughs> <laughs> so on the subject of unwatchable films <laughs> on December eighth. Uh, we get wide release of The Disaster Artist, which is the James Franco-led adaptation of – is Greg Sestero? Is that the name? Yeah. The the co-star of Tommy Wiseau's The Room, who wrote his book wrote a book about what it was like making that movie. Then they made a movie about making that movie, and it looks real good. And I just, I just, don't, un- I just don't understand that, like, Tommy Wiseau is, like, going to, like – the openings and like the press it's like isn't this movie just making you appear like a crazy person and i think he's like yeah <laughs> that's kind of and my brand <laughs> no i think so weird. i have a feeling it's going to be you know and it's james franco playing tommy Wiseau, and the one i don't even know how to call it a trailer but it's a it's a clip of you know evidently the 30 takes it took them to get the oh hi mark scene um Franco, his Wiseau looks pretty good. Not that that's necessarily a hard impression, um, no. but I mean, I'm sure that it's going to be, you know, it, the angle is going to be, look at this lovable, sincere weirdo, which I think is kind of mm. where we landed on the room was that whatever kind of weird vampire and or alien Tommy Wiseau is, like, he is at least sincere. Um yeah. Uh, I was thinking about this the other day because I've, I've been listening to My Brother, My Brother and Me from the beginning. Oh, yeah. Um, really digging it, by the way. Uh, just got to the the part where he uh, they come up with the um, kiss your dad straight on the lips thing. <laughs> which is good. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, which is fun. And uh, But they're talking about, I guess they're all lovers of the room and it came up in conversation. And they were saying, that, like, show it to your friends, but you have to preface with... Just trust me, it's not weird porn. And I was thinking that when I showed you and your wife, and I was like, I forgot this movie really comes off like weird porn at first. Yeah, it Thought, does. No, trust me. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm really excited for that. Is it going to be coming to, like, most theaters? Does it yeah, look I, that that, I think it, it does get a wide release. It, I think it's already out in limited release, um, but the wide release is December 8th. That might have to be a, a, a go-see-it-in-theaters because that looks hysterical, and Shay and I, would I think, would both really enjoy yeah. that. And then, so yeah, and then December 15th, it's the big one. The big one, Last Jedi. The Last Jedi, yeah. I mean, I don't know what to say about this other than, I mean, my ticket might as well already be bought. Yeah, I mean, I am, like I said before, I'm more excited for this than I have been any Star Wars movie that's come out, you know, like the past two. Like, I'm more excited for this than I was for Force Awakens or Rogue One because 
I like know nothing about it. Essentially, like there's there's been all this press about it, but they still don't, like don't know anything about it, which is kind of where I want it to be. And you know, I like Green Johnson, and I just I'm hoping that it just really nails that mid. You know, like the Empire. I don't care if it even feels like Empire Strikes Back as long as it doesn't ape the plot completely. Like if it has that feel. And I just released this picture of Luke today and it, he looks awesome. And I'm just like, yeah, let's just do this. <laughs> I just hope it just I hope it just goes. And I've heard it does. Like I've heard people say like the first one really was uh, let, let us remind you what Star Wars is. Yeah. And then like I think I trust Ryan Johnson to uh, take Star Wars to the next level, which is what I want. Yeah, I'm I'm. I don't know. I think I was more excited for Force Awakens because there was that anticipation of, oh my God, this one might actually be good. You know, there was that, and you know how long it had been since I'd been in a movie theater, and you know, and then you see that, you know, you hear that music, and um, you know when it comes in, and and because the prequels just didn't feel like Star Wars to me, and and this felt like Star Wars, and. So I don't know if I'm going to get that same feeling again, but it is very exciting to be walking into a Star Wars movie with confidence. Like, this is the first one where I'm going to be able to walk in and be like, this is going to be a good movie. Like, <laughs> like because in Force Awakens, you're like, I don't know, guys. We did this once before, and I'm not so sure about this. You mean the guy from Lost made this? I don't know. And then, And then it was great. And then Rogue One, you know, you're going in and you're like, I don't know. This is the first of their like spin-offy ones. I know they did a lot of reshoots. You know, I don't know about this. It looks kind of weird. And it didn't wasn't great. But um yeah, walking in and being excited is gonna be nice. For sure. Uh I you know, I think this will probably be number two for me and most looking forward to. Um I don't know, it might it might eat, it might eke out for just because it's almost like the the mystery of it kind of, yeah. you know, like, is it going to be good? Like, what's it going to be about? Where, like, I kind of know what Thor's going to be like, and I'm, I'm going to like it, but uh, at least I think I know what it's going to be like. Who knows? But um, the other thing, the only, I guess this is technically a movie, what I'm bringing up, is I'm, I'm looking forward to the um, the Netflix movie starring Will Smith called Bright. Yeah. You familiar with this? I haven't watched the trailer, but yeah, tell me the premise. So it's, it's like a, it kind of reminds me, it's like basically a cop action movie, but in like a sort of pseudo- fantasy modern world where like his partner is an orc hmm. and like they're the MacGuffin is like a magic wand that's like holy shit it's a fucking magic wand and like <laughs> these like these existed or something but you know don't now and uh some just a little girl has it and it I'm, I'm a little you know it's written by max landis who has done some really good things and done some really bad things like he made chronicle and or he wrote chronicle and some other things that were pretty good, but also have some not so good ones. But, and also it's directed by David Ayer, who, Ayer, Ayer, mm -hmm. who once again, like he made Suicide Squad, which is like, eh, but I don't know if it's his fault. But he like, also made Training Day. Yeah. And like SWAT and stuff like that. So he's got like the cop chops, I think. So like, it seems cool. I, I, I'm, I'm down for it. Like, it seems like. I want to say it's bad boys with like orcs, but like <laughs> it doesn't look funny. So, or that funny. So I won't, I won't, I keep saying that, but that's not what it is. More like SWAT with orcs is what it looks <laughs> like. So, I, I mean, I'm just cool. I'm just excited to see Netflix bringing out original movies. Like that's cool too. Like the other one that I'm interested in is the, um, the one with, uh, uh, what's his name? The guy plays Ben Wyatt on Parks and Rec. And I can never remember oh, his Adam name. Oh, Adam Scott. Adam Scott. I don't know why I always blank on yeah, it. Yeah, his weird um, comedy Omen movie. 
Yeah, basically, which kind of looks goofy, but or you know, he, he marries a woman with a kid and the kid is the devil. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it looks all right. So to transition into TV, I mean, since that's a thing that's happening too, going to have a lot of starts, new series in the next couple of weeks here. I'm just going to breeze over this one because like the DCCW verse, I'm not excited at all. No. For any of them. I mean, Legends is just so bonkers. Legends of Tomorrow that like I'll be like, all right, cool. And like, but just, I mean, Arrow kind of did some good stuff last season. I don't know. And Flash, I was disappointed by. And this Black Lightning show, which isn't part of the DC series, like that looks like it could be okay. But uh, the premise is cool. And like, the, I like the casting and representation and all that. But I don't know if I'm interested in the actual show. Also on the CW, Supernatural, I'm really excited for. Of course this you crazy are. crazy alternate realities things. And there's just, there's a fucking Scooby-Doo crossover, man. <laughs> Scooby-Doo crossover. <laughs> uh, on ABC, we have this... <laughs> This Inhumans, whatever it is, which I'll watch. Yeah, you're on your own on that one, man. That but, thing looks like hot uh, garbage. Yeah, it does look like hot garbage. Apparently, they just said it looks like it, the early reports are this one in hot and fast, quick and fast, sloppy fast. Gross. Just, Gross. Stop there. Bad. Yeah. <laughs> Stop there. However, and of course, it makes me mad because it's delaying what I actually want to watch, which is Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which had an awesome last season and ended with spoiler alert for the fifth season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. ended with them in fucking space. I'm like, yes, let's do this. <laughs> uh, that's what it's all about now. Um, that's kind of like mainstream TV, I guess you'd say. And then we get into like Netflix stuff with what everyone's looking forward to. I'm sure Stranger Things season yeah, two. I am all in on Stranger Things season two. Get 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 it here. Get me watching it. I'm all in on that one. Looks great. Yes, uh, I'm very excited. Just to, I, I might I may actually rewatch the first season just just to relive the magic. I think get in the <laughs> Halloween spirit. I just, I just really liked it. Yes, yeah, it was a great show. I really enjoyed it. Uh, I like the way it made me feel. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm a kid again, like we discussed. Um, also, Netflix coming November, Punisher. Is that confirmed? Yeah. Huh. Yep. There was a trailer for it at the end of Defenders. Um, you know, I think the Punisher is, when handled correctly, is a good character in the context of the Marvel universe. He can be handled very poorly. Uh. And it's just weird because, like, John Bernthal, who's playing him, you know, he said recently, like, we tried to keep it, like, the Punisher's not a hero. Mm -hmm. I'm like, good, because he's not. Yes, no, he's not. I mean, I get he can be heroic at points, but he is not a hero. Uh, but then other times you kind of see him saying, like, oh, he's, like, an icon for the military and for police. I'm like, no, no, he's not. Don't, well, don't yeah, say that's, that. And, and, like, and there's, there's some things going on culturally. Um where the Punisher logo has been appropriated by certain elements of American culture. Uh, in fact, the cops in some cases, in fact, I'm pretty sure recently uh, some municipal sheriff's department or, or, you know, police precinct had to be told to remove the Punisher logo from their cars because don't do that. <laughs> um, yeah. But this actually started with um, Chris Kyle, the American sniper guy um kind of you know had had an affinity for the punisher and liked to put that logo on stuff and then folks who really liked him adopted it and it's become i mean i don't want to say that it stands for something but you see it next to a lot of all lives matter stickers and yeah. confederate flags and it's kind of getting a little gross and especially now if you know um the actor is now also pushing that, that like there's a connection between Frank Castle and 
law enforcement and military, that's something that should be encouraged and celebrated. It's like, no, 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 don't, don't, please don't. Yeah, because that was not the way it came off in Daredevil season two to me at all. So I hope that that's not representative in the show. It's like, it's a, you know, if the actor, if the actor saying that, like, that's annoying and gross. But OK, as long as it's not like the, the show doesn't take that route. I'll, I'll give you one that I saw the other day. I was driving and I was behind a pickup truck and then on a big, you know, one of those big pickup trucks is really tall and has like a big back window. The big back window sticker was get this a huge Punisher skull, like the color tan with a gun, like a, the outline of a gun and the don't tread on me snake embedded in the skull. And I was like. Wow, this is peak <laughs> everything that's there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> made it. it was like clearly perfect. It wasn't like some guy like spray paint. It was a professionally made sticker. I was like, Jesus Christ. Uh, yeah. So I mean, I'll, I'll you know, I guess I'll, I'm interested to see the the take. And I mean, I, I'm they went with a full 13 episode season, which I was also very surprised about. I was thinking maybe more of like a Defenders eight episodes or yeah, something like that. It feels but, like a better fit, but yeah. So we'll see. Um, I did like his portrayal in no, Daredevil season two. He was good. So. I don't know if I don't know if that version of the Punisher can carry a show, or if the Punisher can carry a show. But I'm I'm very curious. Yeah, that's my concern. But we'll see. Um, the last thing I saw, I just watched the trailer today, was for Black Mirror season four. Yeah, I I bounced off the first um, Netflix season of Black Mirror because I didn't think it was grim enough. <laughs> it wasn't bleak enough for me. Jesus. <laughs> uh, I mean, the only one that super isn't isn't super grim was the uh san juniper episode which is generally really well really well liked but despite not being super sad although they really seem to be like i'm not sure if it's just the trailer or all the episodes are filmed this way but like they did like a little trailer that was like basically like three seconds when the in the title of each episode hmm. and but like it looked like it was put through one of those like it's the 80s grain filter uh. so i'm not sure if like all the episodes are like that or it's just like the filter or the trailer was like that but one of the move, one of the episodes is straight up like in space on a spaceship. So it looks like Star Trek. Like they're like they had colorful uniforms and like all kinds of stuff. So like I mean, who knows if that's what it actually is? Cause it's Black Mirror, and you never know. But like that sounded interesting to me. So it looked like there's a little a good diversity of stuff going on. So which is what I want for Black Mirror. Well, there's one thing we won't be watching this fall, and that's Game of Thrones. No, no more. We're done. We're done for possibly two years so let's do it let's dig into our final Wait, did they say two years uh there are some hints that we might not see uh season eight until 2019 uh no just let's just get this over with man <laughs> all right so let's do our last our last game of thrones episode rundown for season seven episode seven wait oh the, the wolf, wolf and, and the, the dragon, dragon. <laughs> got it this time <laughs> all right so um just the very first scene. So I, this was very confusing for me because the last time we saw Grey Worm on this show, he was in Casterly Rock. They were revealing that Casterly Rock was a trap and they were looking out on the Iron Fleet, destroying all their ships, trapping them at Casterly Rock and basically saying like, these guys are fucked. And then at the beginning of this episode, the next time we see Grey Worm, he's just hanging out with the all the rest of the Unsullied and the... Uh, Dothraki marching on King's Landing. Did I miss like an entire episode where they courageously escaped from Casterly Rock or the Iron Fleet just left them alone? What the fuck, guys? I guess my only assumption is that like post attack on the loot train that, you know, the Dothraki were kind of able to help bust out the Unsullied from 
Castle Rock and they marched on King's Landing from there. That's my only assumption based on no information yeah. whatsoever. Uh, so that was, I feel like, just sloppiness. But this next part, I'm not sure if it's bad writing or great writing or what, but the whole revealing that Dan and uh, John and Danny are are involved in incest as it's happening, that was a little weird. I, I digged it. I mean, I'm not, I'm not dig the incense, but in, incest, but A, the incest here doesn't bother me because given the context of the show and sort of like their moral standards of like, well, brother and sister and, you know, kids and parents aren't okay, but like everything else seems pretty much on the table, which is pretty reflective of like the, t- I mean, nephew, aunt, that's getting close maybe, but to be fair, they don't know. Um, also, right. this is just a, a weird tangent, but. Uh, and this is going to come across terribly for me. This isn't something I was like actively looking for. I just like stumbled across an article. One of those like, you know, they see those infographics that like most looked up porn category by state. Um, I was reading an article about that and it was saying that across the board, like for, you know, currently like the biggest trend in porn is like incest porn. Hmm. And, you know, I was reading some things about trying to think about like, why that is. And someone was like, well, you know. In a, in a society where we've had a ton of families that got divorced and then, you know, have step families and step kids and like kids who might know each other at school who maybe had a crush on each other. And now they're step siblings and like that kind of stuff. But I also can't help but wonder if it's like I bet Game of Thrones has helped this a little bit, too. I don't I don't know that I can go down this rabbit hole, but uh, <laughs> I think the weirdest That's thing a, and, <laughs> and something that I've always thought was weird was that there are trends in porn that like. Because that implies that people are into something for a little while and then move on, which is seems strange <laughs> when it comes to porn because it's something you, I would assume, enjoy in private, which means, you know, it's not like, oh, I've got to, like, wear the T-shirts for the cool bands so that everyone think I'm cool. Like, nobody knows what porn you're watching, so it's not like you, you're not going to chase a trend because it's fashionable. And then you I would NSA think, does. well, I think once you find a thing you like, you're going to stick with that thing, right? Weird. It's a weird thing. And I have to go off this tangent right now. We're going to talk about how Theon got in a fight on the beach. Um, you know, I talked last week about how this this show used to like avoid tropes and turn tropes on their head. And now it just goes headlong into them. And this is one of those like tropes you see in so many tv shows where you've got the guy who's like a shitty fighter uh, going up against the guy who's like a great fighter and the great fighter the big strong guy like just beats the shit out of the little guy for like five minutes beats him halfway to death and then the little guy like lands one punch and it's like oh fight's over now and that's exactly what happened in this theon fight and I hate it because it's tropey and that's not what Game of Th- like in Game of Thrones it's like no the big strong guy wins because that's how this goes um, and it's not even like Theon like pulled a knife on him or got a rock or something he just like punched him real good um, yeah that's what I was hoping for he's gonna like pull a knife and just gut him and be like yeah I'm a Greyjoy like what's up right and that at least would have been more in in keeping with the show but also the fact that we had to include like a dumb weird like eunuch joke in there as the turning point in the fight that was just dumb and gross yeah i i really hated it like for me given the scope and the context of the show right now i could have just had and just cut this yar as a prisoner plot line and just have like of all the things to keep i just i don't know uh just have that last scene with john and theon kind of be theon's like that's his end end of his arc and you just see him fighting alongside the rest of the team 
the rest of the time. That's fine. Yeah. You know, in the books, I want a little more than that because they spend a lot more time on Theon and stuff. But like, I, I just don't care anymore. Yeah. Um, I also thought this was, uh, was it weird to you that we had two almost identical scenes of Tyrion and Jaime basically daring Cersei to kill them and calling her bluff? That they were very, very similar? I mean, I think it was maybe purposeful. I'm trying to take that route because otherwise it's just sloppy. Like it's either purposeful or just kind of sloppy. But I think it was purposeful. I think you're trying to show that I maybe mean, they didn't accomplish it 100% like how I would have done it. But because I don't really know why, like I'm still not completely convinced like why Cersei didn't kill Tyrion. I mean, we know we had the reveal that like Tyrion didn't kill your son. And like your dad's kind of an asshole and you know that. So, so I think, you know, I, I think it was weird. I mean, I, I have to say I... I liked both. I liked everything with Sir. I mean, she's just, she's great. And I love, she deserves an award of some sort. I don't know, whatever those show TV shows, awards are they give to people, but some kind of person on a platform or something. Uh, but like, and especially the scene with Jamie. Oh mm -hmm. my gosh. I love that scene. No, I love it. I agree. I think that those were actually scenes that actually had some emotional weight to them. And I do think Cersei's choices were interesting and humanizing her a little bit and suggesting that, um, she's not the ruthless tyrant she's trying to project to everyone at heart that she still has some humanity left which you know will make her death at jamie's hands all the more tragic hand hand death at his hand um but yeah i thought and i i, I genuinely thought like oh shit they might kill jamie tonight yeah i was like this might be it and like it, i like and i forgot my like well i know that at some point he's gonna have to kill her because like it's vague. Who knows what could happen, right? But, like, I just forgot, like, just the scene engrossed me so much that I was just like, the mountain's just going to cut off his head right now? Is that what's going to happen? Like, I was really scared. And, like, I mean, I don't know what he's done because, like, I never considered him, like, a particular actor, but Nikki CW, he's just crushing it this season. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's great. That, I don't believe you, that delivery was just gold. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, and, and um, yeah. Uh, in terms of things that didn't work quite well, the Night King on top of the dragon, that looked so fucking stupid. Like, that whole scene was so, like, the first, like, when the dragon, like, screeches by the screen and blows blue, blue fire, like, that was such a cool way to introduce the dragon. Mm -hmm. And not just, like, ominously coming out of the mist or whatever. It was, like, just, like, boom, there it is. Like, and, like, that was cool. And, like, the rest of the scene looked really cool. But, yeah, like, the scenes with him, there's this one scene that just stuck out in my head of, like, him on the dragon and it's, like, flapping up and yeah. down. It looks so bad so yeah. bad well and and the uh. scenes of daenerys on the dragon also look bad like they just they have trouble making that look cool uh they're doing something wrong but and also you didn't need to do that like you could just have it be he clearly has some kind of magic psychic control over the others like i don't he doesn't need to ride it yeah. <laughs> I, yeah that seems like a dumb choice i hope that's not i don't know i hope he doesn't always ride it but i guess he will because why wouldn't he it's just, it's just dumb. I just, it was in, a, in an otherwise very cool scene that just ruined it for me a little bit because I liked also com my two biggest complaints. One complaint about this episode was, I'll get to first here is Tormund and Beric live, dead, think they're alive, oh, but yeah. like very unclear. Um, You know, if they're dead, that's fine. Kill them, but show us them dying. Nah, you like, don't, they're, they're not going to die off screen, uh, especially no. not Tormund. Um. I think that now they've made an extra problem for themselves of you, we're going to have to have another highly unbelievable escape MacGuffin, just like um, Jamie and Braun in the, in the Blackwater rush. Um, we're going to have to have another, you know, because the wall, like the, the thousands of tons of ice just fell down and you guys were on top of the pile. 
Like, and then the army of the dead walk through the hole. Like, you're not getting out of that. Like, we're not going to see them hiding under a tree. Um, so it's unbelievable. And it's, it's bad. It's, it's not a cliffhanger because you're like, no, they're not going to die off screen. We know we're going to see them again. So we should have seen them escape this episode and instead of this nonsense. Yeah, because like what they're stuck on top of the, like they're on the section of the wall that didn't collapse and they're stuck up there that they have to climb down and they're going to be behind the whole army. And like, how are they ever going to meet up with it just doesn't make it like there's no there's sense behind it. So uh, I don't know. So so let's talk about uh, Winterfell. Um, I I struggled with the little finger scene, but I, I actually came out in favor of it. Um, I feel like the, the, the surprise of, you know, <laughs> when they turn to him and say it's, oh, it's you, Lord Baelish. That was a really good moment, even though I think we had to go through some dumb Arya Sansa feuding to get there. But, uh, I think it was worth the payoff, even if it had to have that stupid plot line of why are these two fighting? Why don't they just tell each other what's going on? Yeah. I mean, this felt like what was obviously going to happen for me. So what is it wasn't a surprise, which is fine. Cause like, this is a, this is kind of a trope that sometimes TV does. I'm okay with it, but it was done really poorly. And I was reading today that there was a, that the actor for Bran said there was a scene that was cut that at some point shows Sansa, like knocking on Bran's door and being like, Hey, can I like, you know, can I talk to you about something? And like, kind of like supposed to be implying that like, Oh, she went and just like confirmed with him what happened and asked what Arya was doing. And like, you know, basically like he, she went and consulted Google about <laughs> what's going on in the world and like made an informed decision about it. So I just felt like the scene was really awesome. And like Aiden Gillen, once again, like another great performer on the show, his like going through the stages of like surprise and then like faux authority. And then like just straight up pleading was just really great. Um, but it just felt like it was once again anticlimactic for me and like diminished because of like the bungled storyline leading up to it. Yeah. And also just like, I don't know, like Littlefinger kind of caused all this stuff to happen. Maybe in the way that like the Archduke of Ferdinand's assassination caused World War One, where it's going, kind of like, eh, some stuff's probably going to happen at some point anyway. But, um, you know, and they, they do address it, but like didn't have quite the punch. Like, this is all your fault. <laughs> Everything. <laughs> so but I did I did enjoy the scene overall. And it makes sense. I mean, like it, it's I'm glad that that's kind of tied up now because now I don't want any more dumb, dumb sisters feuding or anything. Yeah. Um, I like how other characters are finally starting to call out Jon Snow about how fucking boneheaded he is all the time. Yep. Uh, that's a small thing. But I also another thing I liked from that kind of big meeting scene. And I'm actually kind of sad that they did a twist on this. But I liked it when I kind of liked how Euron just bailed where he was like, they can't swim, right? All right. Fuck all y'all. I'm done. Like, I love that. And I was like, that is not only hilarious, but also like, yeah, that makes sense. That's like a that's a logical character choice here. And like, that would be like a really cool, you know, shift in the balance of power if he was just like nope i'm bouncing but um uh, yeah i and but the, and then also the twist that oh he's going to pick up the golden company okay fine but that also doesn't make a ton of sense and just in this like again kind of sloppy writing of like he's the commander of the entire iron fleet he's more valuable to you in king's landing you can send some other crony to go and pick up some dudes in Essos and bring them back. Like that, that you don't need Euron Greyjoy to get those ships over there. Yeah. I mean, I agree with you hundred percent. Uh, I was all about him bailing and to have it kind of pulled out from under me. I was like, yeah, that was like the only part of like the twist plotline that I didn't really like. Cause the rest of it I was okay with, but so speak, I, go ahead. 
I really liked the meeting stand, I have to say. Like, I thought it was just, and they said, I was watching the after episode, they said they were in that pit for days, just trying to get, like, the character interactions correct and, you know, people interacting well. But I did find out, so, you know, how Braun and Pod left. I'm not sure why this this is why they left. They're probably just not important enough to be at the meeting, plot-wise. But I didn't know that the actor who plays Braun and the actor, you know, Lena, um, uh, who plays Cersei, that they had dated and they had a really bad breakup. Really? And now now they're not, they refuse to be on set together. And like, they won't be on screen together, which is why you never see Braun and Cersei ever on the stream. Not, thing. not, wait, Braun or Brienne? Braun. Braun, got it. Huh. Yeah. Weird, right? Yeah. But. Because I did think that was weird that they kind of walked away and, um, yeah. And also the, 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 the show made a point to show, to show us them walking away and you're like oh they're gonna have to like come back later or like we're gonna see a scene with them like having a private conversation or something is weird yeah i thought that was weird too like why they spent so much time but i think they were trying to sort of imply to us that like braun thinks this is gonna go south and everyone's gonna die so let's get the fuck out of here (laughs) which i only got really afterwards so and like wants to save pod from it too so yeah uh also in that scene fucking clay game bowl man it's totally gonna happen yeah i I mean i'm kind of it's just feel a little tropey that they're gonna drag that out all the way into season eight but i love that line of like oh. where like the hound's just looking at me he's like no of course you're not dead because it's me who's gonna kill you and you know that bye i was like yeah yeah my, my theory is what's gonna happen is you're gonna have at some point because he's dead you're gonna have the uh you're gonna see his eyes turn from red to blue and he's gonna get controlled by the night king see i i i think Maybe if we get that far, but I think that uh, I also think that um, uh, the Hound's going to get a flaming sword. Mm-hmm. I think as part of this, you know, he's going to all of a sudden like, because um, that's kind of a thing for his character arc and his fear of fire and his inability to accept a higher power. And then something's going to happen and then he's going to get that and that's going to help him, you know, his sword's just going to catch fire in the middle of the fight or something. And uh, I, I that's my prediction for that. I like it. I like it. Um, also, uh, one thing I really liked is I liked Sam's reaction to Bran being a weirdo. <laughs> and I, I, I did enjoy the scene, you know, the way that scene was laid out, the juxtaposition of it all. Um, one thing I was talking about today was discussing is like how, uh, Sam and Bran are basically the two most powerful people in the world. Cause A, they have this nugget of information that they can use how they wish. They'll use it for good probably, but also that, so Bran is basically Google, right? Like. He's not omniscient, but it seems like you can ask him a question. He'll be like, oh, let me go check. And then Sam is like, so Bran has the answers and Sam knows what questions to ask. Yeah. And Sam can make the connections between other facts. Right. Exactly. So they kind of are a a duo of of brainiacs. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, My only only biggest complaint was that Tyrion's reaction to, you know, aunt nephew bone town because it i think it's supposed to mean that he's like not happy with the situation as like her hand but to me in the scene and to a lot of people it came off as like a weirdly like like he's being he's jealous or like a love triangle thing which i don't think is the, what's supposed to happen but like that's how the scene felt well I, a lot of people are interpreting it that way yeah that's that was my problem was it felt completely out of left field no matter what um because it does imply you know, the one guy standing outside the door while the other two go at it, kind of like, that does, that implies romantic jealousy, right? Um, you know, whether or not he just doesn't think it's a good idea that they're getting together for political or tactical reasons, that's a point to be made, but that's not how I would, you know, if you were going to frame up that scene, 
you wouldn't rely on, you know, you wouldn't frame it up right next to the sex. Because then the, yeah. the, the clear interpretation is like he has a problem with that part of it. And it just it felt like totally out of left field. Why would he care? Um, and it's not and it's not a why would he care in a ooh, can't wait to find out why he cares kind of way. It's just a you didn't set this up right kind of why does he care? Especially because he was the one complaining to her about like needing progeny and like stuff like that. So uh, but all right. So last question. We'll go to recommendations. Yes. Sound good. What was the dragon breathing? Um, magic blue fire. Okay. I also thought blue fire, but there is apparently no consensus about what it was breathing. Some people say it was breathing ice. Some people say it was breathing like concussive force, aka like cyclops beams, punches from the punch dimension. Like <laughs> it's it's blue fire, people. Who gives like, a shit? I'm just It's magic. <laughs> it's magic. It's a dragon. It's a zombie dragon. Who cares? <laughs> Why do we need to do like are we really that's where we're going? I mean, I know I've been bitching about the distances, but at this point, it's like, does that really have anything to do with the plot? Ugh. Anyway. All right. Let's talk about recommendations. So my recommendation is for a quick little YouTube video uh, that uh, I don't know much about. Um, it's related to Game of Thrones. It's a little, I would call it a spec trailer. I think it's a production company that, you know, wants to show off their chops but they basically made a trailer for a fictional TV show. And I say fictional because it's not a real show called Westeros that takes place in a 21st century version of Westeros. So you've got prime minister, prime minister Lannister, you know, standing at a podium talking on, you know, C-SPAN essentially about how there's nothing to fear beyond the wall. And you see guys who are probably the night's watch, but they're just like SWAT guys dressed in all black and, um, I think we talked a while ago when we were talking about potential Game of Thrones spinoffs, I was like, I would really like to see, you know, what Westeros would be in the modern world, you know, the logical extension. And they did a great job and it's very, very stylish. Um, and it's like, damn, I wish this was real. <laughs> like, I really want to watch this. So, uh, I'll, I'll put a link to that. It's a, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. I think it looked really cool. And I, I would like to see that show now made. And I'm thinking like, man, people need to do this more often, take the long view of, of that. And the only person doing it as well. Sanderson with Mistborn stuff, yeah. but yeah. So um, my recommendation this week is, and I'll talk about it more next week because it's what I've been into, but I'm going to recommend, and, and I think you've watched this, Greg, The Handmaid's Tale. I've watched about half of it. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're about, I think we have two episodes left. We kind of binge it this week, which, oof, binging that show yeah. is a choice. That's why I only um, got halfway through. Like, be ready. I'm just, it, it is a, it is a heavy, heavy show and they get you from every angle i'm mm -hmm. sure as a father it's really yep. affecting you but i we like watched three episodes w one night and tried to go to bed and we just laid there staring at the ceiling just like can you sleep nope can you sleep nope and just <laughs> the worst part of it the worst part of it is that the flashback scenes to like what it looked like before the catastrophe happened mm -hmm. looks so much like right now and this this film was i you know I presume filmed like two years ago. Yes. So it's just like so unfor like fortunately, but also unfortunately poignant and relevant that it's like almost too much. Yeah. It's just almost too much. So yeah. Payment's tale. It's on Hulu. It's really, really good. Yes, it's very well done. It is, it is heavy and it can be hard to watch, but uh, hard to watch in an important way. Agreed. All right, guy. Well, uh, I think that wraps it up for us. What are we going to talk about next week? Now that we don't have game of Thrones. I I think we're we're in some trouble. Well, you know, I could do an episode by episode rundown of all eighteen parts of the new Twin Peaks if you want. Jesus God. <laughs> uh, 
you know, we're talking about things not making sense when you explain it out loud. I'm sure that probably falls into that category. Oh, it doesn't make sense when you watch it. <laughs> All right, guy. Well, uh, you have a good week and uh, we'll talk soon. <laughs>